0: Turn that back on. Awesome. Psalm 63 in your Bible is where we're going to stay tonight. Every Christian, before we jump in as a way of introduction, every Christian has that time in their life where the light bulb comes on, where it clicks, it starts to make sense. Whether a lot of people that's upon salvation, when they get saved and everything starts to make sense and you see a whole lifestyle... Some people, it takes a little longer than others after salvation as they try to figure it out and they, they try to understand what it's all about. But every single one of us can attest to the time when it clicked, where the light bulb went on, where we understood that Christianity was more than just a game, it was more than just a social club, it was more than maybe just a feel-good meeting time or some security blanket or, or routine that we've done our whole life, but the light bulb clicked and it, we realized that Christianity is not all that, but it is a relationship with Jesus Christ. It's a time when we get to know and develop a relationship with Jesus Christ. And I struggled this afternoon, you know, what I, what I should preach about, and I knew pastor was under the weather, and, you know, whether you should preach on uh, different things and overcoming sin or hope or peace or, or the attacks of the devil and all the different stuff that are good and, and good doctrine in the Bible that you should read and study on. But it all stems up this, that God brought me back to Psalm 63, with the understanding that if we can have a relationship with God, if we can have a strong walk with God, the rest will take care of itself. Matthew chapter six verse three says, "Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all this will come." The Bible says, "If you seek God and seek His kingdom, then the rest will t- will take care of itself. God will handle the rest." You know that can be my frustration sometimes when dealing with with our teenagers and dealing with different teenagers and, and different kids. You know, you want so badly whether They're newly saved, or they've saved, and you can just obviously see they've kind of fallen out of the things of church that they were raised on. But you want them to listen to the right music, and you want them to be pure in their hearts and their actions and their motives, and you want them to do the right thing, and and you want them to, as the new waves come in that attack them every single day, there's something new every single week, there's something new that that tries to attack them and and trip them up. And can I say as a side note tonight, you know, keep our teenagers in your... But if you have the, are, have the influence of a teenager, whether they're in your home, whether they're your niece or nephew, your son, your daughter, your, your grandchild, whatever it is, I challenge you, know what's going on in their life. Because I think it will surprise you a lot of things that they struggle with and that they battle with and that is constantly attacking them. And Satan brings new waves and new methods to make sin a joke, to take make sin light so that it's just, oh, this isn't bad. And there's a new thing that I, I won't get into it from the pulpit, but a lot of teenagers that come to our church that you don't even realize that they struggle with. And, and I, my brother's a teacher at Danbury High School, and... It tells me how it's a new trend and making drugs just something that's, hey, this isn't so bad. It's not as bad as this. And just a door that opens up for teenagers to go into and know what's going on. If you have a teenager that you have influence under, know what's going on in their life. Know what battles they face. Pray for them. Talk to them. Be open. Be honest with them. But that's just a side note tonight. But I realize that at the end of the day, I can teach them the Bible and, you know, I can help them and I can encourage them and I can, and I can lecture them and I can do all that. But until that desire hearts, until they have that desire to have a relationship with God, until they have that desire to know God and to walk with Him, it's going to be awfully hard to live for Him. It's going to be awfully hard for them to do right, because there's not that desire that's there. Brother Corky, you want to open the back door there? And that's why my prayer for them is to have a, for them to have an appetite for spiritual things and and a desire to develop a relationship with God, and that's why we use things like basketball, and we use things like an Easter service, and we use things like a goldfish Sunday, because if there's any place where that that light bulb might turn on, or that appetite might develop, it'll be in church. And those are avenues and tools we use to get them in church, to hear Bible preaching, to be part of a spirit-filled service, where that desire, where that appetite will grow. But how more important is it then for teenagers and for people who ride the bus, for us as seasoned Christians, to have a strong, on-fire relationship with God? To walk with him and to talk with him and to know him and to know his word and, and to talk to and walk with him on a daily basis and to know him at a personal level and to have a hunger for him as David talks about in Psalm 63. If we're going to pass down the faith to the next generation, if we're going to have strong marriages, if we're going to conquer sin, if we're going to impact our city for God, if we're going to want to enjoy the things of God and, and the things that he has and the life he wants us to live, then it's important as Christians, the foundation of it is relationship with God, is knowing God for yourself, is walking with God on a daily basis and giving Him time. My point as way of introduction tonight is that it's all about Jesus. May either we serve Him or we we share Him or or we tell others about Him, but the bottom line is for us to have a relationship with Him and, and to know Him. It's all about Him. And that's why I love Psalm 63. That's why I love what David talks about here. He talks about his thirst and his hunger for God. And my desire tonight is for you to encourage you maybe to pick back up what you started. To maybe make it a little your walk with God a little more intense. Or maybe some of you have never started walking with God, or it's been a long time to pick it back up and to have that relationship with Jesus Christ. You look in Psalm 63, and just to give you some context of this psalm, King David wrote this, and he was in the wilderness of Judah at the time. Most commentators, they suggest that it was probably during Absalom's rebellion in Second Samuel chapter 15. So it was a very hard time for King David. Not only was it physically just a dry, barren wilderness place, but also there were some things in his life with his own children that he was facing and struggling with in just a dark, dark time for King David while he writes this. And if you notice in verse 1, and we're just going to break down a few verses, we won't go through the whole chapter for sake of time, but we're going to break down a few verses tonight that I believe... Will be a help. If you look at Psalm 63, verse 1, the Bible says, David says, O oh God, thou art my God. You stop it right there, and sometimes we just go right through that. But understand when David writes, O oh God, thou art my God, he's not talking just by nature because he created us. He's just not talking because uh because of birth, you know, he's just naturally our God. Or in this context, with David, it's not talking about because he's an Israelite or he's a descendant of Abraham. But it's talking about, oh, God, thou art our God, because by grace through Jesus Christ, he's our God. Because we're saved, because Jesus Christ came and died for us and shed his blood, we have a virtue, an everlasting covenant that he's our God. And sometimes, Christians, I think we overlook that. I think we don't comprehend that. I don't think we let that sink in. And I love how David starts this psalm. He says, oh, God, thou art my God, the foundation of his life, everything in his life, the preeminence of his life, thou art my God. And he claims it and he understands it. You look around in our world today and whether it's at a workplace or whether it's family members and, man, it's so vain and it's so empty. And they're chasing, you know, the dollar or they're worrying about what their kid's doing compared to what their kids are doing or what college do your kids go to and what college my kids go to and, and degree and career and success and house and all that stuff is great. And all that, there's nothing wrong with that to a certain degree. But man, it's so empty talking to them. There's no, there's no hope. There's no foundation. There's no peace. There's no, there's no love. But us as Christians tonight, when we could step back and understand that first phrase as David says, Oh God, thou art my God. We have an everlasting eternal covenant and it doesn't matter how we feel tonight. It doesn't matter what you feel tomorrow. It can't be broken. He is our God. Oh, God, thou art my God. Praise the Lord for that. Praise the Lord that we have a foundation our life can be built on. We have true peace and love love in our life that can be accessed through our God. And David starts out by saying, oh, God, thou art my God. But then notice what he says next. He says, early will I seek thee. Early will I seek thee. This phrase really, you know, jumped out to me and tried to study it and, and know What is David talking about here in context, especially when I first went to Bible college, but I don't know what different commentators see different things, but I know what God spoke to me when I read that. When he talks about early, will I seek thee? I believe it's very practical, very, very simple, but he's talking about early in the day, early in the morning, first thing before anything is seeking God. Before anything starts, seeking God. Before I wake up and I check my phone and I check what time it is and I check my text messages and I check my notifications, before I do anything, seek God. Before my day starts, seek God. And notice how he says early. Early. There's something, I'm not saying that if you seek, if you have a walk with God and you read your Bible and pray in the afternoon or night, there's something different. But I can tell you this by experience, there's something different. You wake up early in the morning. And before the world is going around and everything's busy and everyone's around there doing their business and just sitting down and opening your Bible and praying and talking with God and having a relationship with him and seeking him and seeing what he has for you in his, in his word and getting to know him and just take a breath and just all the craziness and all the circumstances of life that are going around and just stopping for a moment early in the morning, early first thing before you do anything and seeking God and saying, God, what do you have for me? God, what are you trying to do? David said, oh God, thou art my God, early will I seek thee. Before you do anything, I wonder tomorrow morning how many of us Christians in this room tonight, before we do anything, go to work, whatever, if we'll seek God, if we'll open our Bible, if we'll get to know him, if we'll make the effort to know him. And I'm afraid a lot of Christians, we say this and we talk about the subject, and it's in one ear and out the other. This is not an imaginary friend. This is not make-believe. This is not something that we just talk about to make ourselves feel good. This is real life. This is heaven. This is hell. This is an eternal difference with getting to know your Savior who created and having a relationship with him. And I believe that's why, what does God call David? A man after his own heart. Why? Because David thirsted for God. David hungered for God. God was the preeminence of David's life. He said, early will I seek thee. That can be applied, I tell our teenagers, not just early in the morning, but early in life. Early in life, seeking God, I thank God that I came to a church as a teenager that pushed me in the direction at a young age to seek God and to know God and have a relationship with Him. But he says, O oh God, if thou art my God, early will I seek thee. Then notice this, he says, My soul thirsteth for thee. My flesh longeth for thee in a dry and thirsty land where no water is. John Gill says, After his word, his worship, and his ordinances, after great knowledge of Him, communion with him and more grace from him. He says my flesh longeth for thee which is expressive of the same thing in different words that he most earnestly desired with his whole self, his heart, his soul and strength that he might enjoy the presence of God. When's the last time Christian you enjoyed the presence of God? When's the last time you desire with everything in your being to talk to God, to walk with God, to get to know God? Hey did you ever have a A time in your life where you really wanted something. David says he thirsted, he hungered for something, he hungered for God. Did you ever have a time like that? I'm not talking about maybe anything bad, but there was a time in your life or a situation or a funny story or something where you could sit back and say, man, I really wanted, I really wanted that. I could think of just yesterday playing basketball with the guys, and we go up to Brewster, and they all pitch in a couple bucks, and they give us a nice floor, it's a hardwood floor, and there's a scoreboard that they let us operate for our own scrimmage or whatever you want to call it. And there was only nine of them, so I had to play. Reluctantly, I played, but uh, we had to. Pl- I had played with them, but I didn't realize, you know, after we played forty minutes. So we put ten minutes on the clock. Once ten minutes goes down, another ten minutes, and just go straight through forty minutes of up and down, no subs, just playing playing basketball. And I didn't realize how out of shape I was until after I did that with them. But also, I can tell you this: after playing with them and and uh, walking up the stairs, man, I wanted nothing. I didn't bring anything with me prepared to play, I wanted nothing more to run that vending machine and put $2 in and get a cold, crisp, refreshing blue ice, blue Gatorade that I sucked down in about 30 seconds because, man, I was wanting that. I was thirsting for that thing after 40 minutes of basketball. I went a couple weeks ago with my dad to uh, Florida to see my grandpa, and while we were down there, we went to a spring training game for the, uh, for the Yankees. And the cool thing about this is uh, Yankee Stadium maybe seats about 50,000 people, but they're complex. They play in only it's about 10,000 people. So you really get to, you know, you see the players, and if you're fanning you it, autographs and take pictures and all that cool stuff. But one of the coolest parts of the whole experience was batting practice because what they do, they, the Yankees bat and they have all these sluggers now that they have, and they're up there and they're just hitting home runs like crazy into the stands. And oh, you have kids and adults and everyone out in center field, and they have like a little walkway there where these balls are just flying. You have to pay attention, you're going to get hurt. They're just coming off the bat quick, and man, they're making and uh, going over out of the stadium and, and bouncing off things, and everyone's running around. The kids have their gloves, and they're running around to, to catch, uh, catch a ball and to grab a ball. And I was next, to actually, a, an old retired couple who was there, and that ball came screaming, and it, I was literally right next to her. I stuck my glove out, caught it, and her head was right there. She's like, man, I got to pay attention. I said, yes, you do. But the funniest thing of that whole experience was stepping back and watching... As there were maybe 30, 40 year old men. And as that baseball was hit and there's little kids they didn't care if it was a little kid. They didn't care if it was their own kid. They didn't care if it who it was. They were getting that baseball that hit and watching these 30, 40 year old guys dive after that baseball and they're wrestling and they're pulling it away from kids. They're, they're running after this thing trying to get a dumb baseball from a, from a batting practice. And they grab the baseball and they stand up like they're all successful. And everyone looks at them like, dude, you just stole that from a kid. Like No one's happy for you. But the point being is that they didn't care what was going on around them. They didn't care what the circumstance was, who was around them, kid, adult, family member, stranger. It didn't matter. They had that look in their eye and they were diving on cement for a baseball. They were going after it. And you step back and I ask myself, do I want God like that? Do I want God where I don't care what's going on in my life, whether I'm in the valley or I'm on the mountaintop, whether I'm going through a struggle or God's blessing is just on my life. Is there, it doesn't matter who's around me, who's saying what to me, who's throwing this at me or who's encouraging me, it doesn't matter, but I am anything I can to go after God. Uh, verse uh, verse uh, 8 there says, my soul followeth hard after thee doing anything I can just to, to have a relationship with God, to get to know God, to read my Bible, to walk with Him, just going after Him with everything that I can. And man, it's convicting because there's so many things in my life, and there's so many things in our life, whether they're silly or whether they're sins that we battle with and struggle with, that we go hard after and that we want and that we desire and that we take the majority of our day to pursue and to, and to become better at it and gain more knowledge of. And the very relationship with our Lord and Savior, we put to the side. The very relationship we can have to our creator who loved us and died for us, we push to the side. I've heard this preached before. That's fine. Man, David says, my soul thirsteth for thee. I'm hungry for God. I want to know God. Man, my desire every time I read that verse is, God, give me that desire. God, give me that thirst. God, give me that hunger to know you. That's what we need as Christians. Christians who long to know God. God. Christians who have an intense, passionate relationship with Jesus Christ. Notice what he says in verse 2. He says, to see thy power and thy glory, so as I have seen thee in the sanctuary. Notice as I stated in the beginning that David was he was in the wilderness at this time. He was going through you know, a hard time in his life. And it was barren and he was alone and, and it was difficult. And a great reminder in this verse to me, at least the truth I get from it, Is David's example from when he was in the wilderness and going through a tough situation and the example of him that we can follow when we're in the wilderness or we're going through a tough situation. Notice what he says. He says, to see thy power and thy glory, so as I have seen thee in the sanctuary. David had been in the tabernacle. He had seen the glory of God. He had seen God work. He had seen God use him. He had been a part of some amazing days where God's hand and blessing and power was all over him. But he wasn't satisfied with that past experience to get him through his struggle. He was seeking God and saying, God, I'm, I'm in the wilderness. I'm going through some hard time, but I want to see your power and your glory. Just like I saw it in the sanctuary, I want to see it now in this difficult time. I want to see it now while I'm in this wilderness. And so many times as Christians, when we're struggling and we're going through things, and God, what am I going through? God, what are you trying to show me? God, why am I in this situation? God, why did you do this to me and my family? And instead of throwing our hands up or counting on past experience, be like David and say, God, what are you teaching me? God, what are you trying to show me? God, I want to see your glory and your power, and I want to see the lesson you're trying to steer me in and the direction you're trying to take me through this hard time, through this wilderness, through this barren time. And that's why David said, I want to see your power and your glory. I saw it in the sanctuary, God. I saw you use me, but I want to see it now when I'm at one of my lowest points in my life. And as Christians, when you go through battles and you go through struggles and life is not always fair, and I'm figuring that out at a young age, that's when you need to seek God. That's when you say, God, I'm not going to give up on you. God, I'm not going to forsake you. God, I'm not going to throw you to the side. I'm not going to get bitter at you. I'm not going to get mad at you. I'm not going to blame church or religion or anything else. But God, I'm going to seek you as David did, even in the difficult times. Say, God, I want to see your power and your glory in this circumstance. Show me, show me, show me what are you teaching me? What are you teaching me? What do I need to learn in the situation that I'm going through? I'm not going to give up, not going to forsake you. Going to learn from you. Notice what he says then was moving right along in verse three. He says, Because thy loving kindness is better than life, my lips shall praise thee. One commentator wrote, Life without the love of God is nothing else than death. A man that has no share in the love of God is dead while he lives. Remember tonight, Christian, another powerful thought in this passage simple but powerful and a great reminder is that God loves you. God loves you. You know, so he, he wants to have a relationship with you. Just like David thirsted and hungered for God, God hungers and thirsts to have a relationship with us. That's why he created us, to have a relationship with him, to, to commune with him, to know him. And so many times the devil sells us a lie, whether we're little kids in junior church who ask me these questions because they think that God is... I'm gonna some big scary guy, two adults who you talk to, you're like, man, they think along the same thing, that he's, he's mad at me, or I can never get to know God. You don't know what I've done. You don't know what I'm going through. You don't know what I just faced this week. How am I supposed to have a relationship with God? Hey, God loves you, and he wants to give you a fresh start, and he wants to have a relationship with you. And David said, his loving kindness is better than life. He loves you, and God's proven his love. If you just take a, if, take a step back and look, you see what God's done in your life, and you, His love is, is it's all over your life. You can see it, the evidence is there, but you just have to take the time to look. You know, He loves you through just the simple things like He proves His love through creation. You look around and you see you wake up in the morning, and you hear the birds singing, and even when it's snowing, but when it starts to come down, you're like, Man, it's beautiful the snow coming down, and, and you see the stars at night, and in the spring and the summertime, when, when the flowers start to come, and the fall when the leaves change colors. Man, God did that not just for because he could, he did that because he loves us. He's proven his love. David said his love and kindness is better than life. God loves me, God loves you. He's proven that through creation. He's proven it through his character. His, his mercy on us, His patience with us, His long-suffering for us. How many times do I do something so dumb and I can go back to God and God's there to pick me up and help me? And His character is just one of love and He's ready there to help you. And the ultimate way that He proved His love is right there through the cross. He proved His love through the cross, sending His Son to come down and make an eternal impact on your life and my life. And David said, His loving kindness is better than life and my lips shall praise Thee. God God loves, gives us a spiritual life. And David said, I will praise him, and I will thank him for his love. It is better than life, and it brings true enjoyment to our life. Gratefulness and thanking God for all that he's done. Moving right along, notice in verse 4. Thus will I bless thee while I live. I will lift up my hands in thy name. And I'm almost done, I'm not going to be long tonight and go through this whole chapter, but... I want you to notice in verse 4, read that again. Thus will I bless thee while I live. I will lift up my hands in thy name. David was determined to praise God, to seek God, and to know God for as long as he lived. And when our world needs Christians with that same dedication, that same desire, our families need that, our relationships need that, our marriages need that, our kids need that, our church needs that, our city needs that, our country needs that, Christians with a desire to know God their whole life thirsting and hungering after him, we look around and there are so many, and it convicts me thinking about there's so many false religions, there are so many wrong teachings and corrupt doctrine, but man, they are intense and passionate about it. I live in a private community and they 're in there knocking doors in my private community. And they're, and they're reaching people. There's, there's political agendas where they give their whole life, and they're so intense about pushing some agenda on the news or getting us to vote for someone or believe something or do something, and they're so intense and they're so passionate about it. But man, they don't have the truth. They don't... Jesus Christ. They don't have God. They don't have the words of life on their side. They don't have a God who created us, who loved us, that they can get to know on a personal level. And if they can be intense about false religions and false gods and corrupt teachings and political stuff and sports and everything else, then we can be passionate and we can be intense about a relationship with God, about knowing God, about making a difference, about spreading truth, about getting to know Him at a personal level. And I don't know tonight whether Maybe you don't have a relationship with God. Maybe you haven't walked with God and you never started that. I challenge tomorrow morning when you wake up, read your Bible, pray, seek God. God what, do you have me? God, what are you trying to show me in the time that I have in your word? Maybe you're a Christian and you've been saved for years and you just need a reminder, hey, I need to kick up the intensity a little bit. I need to be more on top of this. There are so many people out there intense about all this silly stuff that doesn't matter. I need to be intense about my relationship with God. I need to have a thirst and a hunger at a level that King David had. And I think about that when I read this chapter, and I said that before, but, man, God calls him a man after his own heart because he thirsted for him. He hungered for him, and God knows my heart, and I hope for your heart, that, man, I want that more than anything It's to thirst after God and hunger God and to know him at a personal level and see what he has for our life. And I don't know if you don't read your Bible, if you don't pray. I don't know your current health spiritually. And I don't know if you're in one ear or out the other tonight, but my challenge to you is to take a close look at Psalm 63. Go through all those verses, break it down, see the truth that God has, but follow the example of David. Follow the example of a king, of a man who had a thirst and a hunger for God like none other. And I promise you, that as a Christian, if you make that decision tonight, if you decide, hey, I'm gonna, I'm gonna kick it up a notch. I'm gonna, I'm gonna really pursue God. I'm gonna ask God, if you don't have that desire in you, get to the altar tonight and ask God to give you that desire. Ask God to give you a, a thirst and a hunger for Him. And I promise you, not only will your spiritual life transform, but it'll, your family will transform. People that you're trying to win and get in church, they will see a difference. Our city will transform. Our church will catch on fire when there's Christians Are pursuing God at a daily basis at a level and an intensity that David shows us in Psalm 63. And I don't know about you, but I want God to use our church a great way. I want God to do something big. I want God to run multiple buses and multiple Sunday school classes and and see people saved and see lives change. And man, I love Sunday morning going downstairs and seeing families come that haven't been in a while or that they're, they're new and they're just faithful. I love seeing Caesar, who's one of our teenagers' dad, come and he's wearing a shirt and tie and he he's hasn't missed a week since he got saved. Man, I love that. And I think God has more of that for us and God can do more of that in our church and God can use us to reach our city and use us to reach Fairfield County and Litchfield County and Westchester County and maybe someday New York City. But it starts before the dreaming and the planning and before all that, it starts in our hearts right now, having a relationship and a desire to know and thirst after God. And as the core member, as the core body of Northeast Baptist Church, that needs to be our everyday practice, our everyday schedule, our everyday routine, seeking, seeking, knowing God for ourselves. Every head bowed, every eye closed. If you want to stand to your feet. I don't know where you're at tonight. As I said, I don't know what you're going through, where you're at, if you, if you seek God, if you have a relationship with God, or if you can be honest with yourself and say, man, it's been poor, but I need to improve it. Whatever it is tonight, I challenge you, I urge you, come to the altar as Ms. Amy and the piano begins to play. Do business with God. Ask God to give you a desire to know him. Ask God to give you a desire